I do find there is a lot of power and impact that can come from being in person. But I also have found there's a lot of limiting beliefs on the capabilities that remote or virtual work has. Where I remember we did a strategic retreat last year with a company who was struggling to build trust, right, with their people and getting people to speak up and surface challenges and issues that are arising that were barriers to them moving, you know, upward and into the future. And a lot of the executive leaders kept on saying, well, we just can't build trust in a virtual space, right? Like we just had to come together on a quarterly basis or something and that'll solve our problems. And I found that some of my most trusting relationships and people I have deep relationships with, I've never actually met in person. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the voice of the most important, crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is that we bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. This episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization is sponsored by our partner, Y Institute, your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. You'll hear more about the Y Operating System and the Y Institute a little later in the show. So I got to be honest with you, Jason, when we first met our guest, Zach Doms, just a few days ago, I know you, you met him earlier than that. I wasn't really sure what peer-to-peer -peer learning was or how it worked. Uh, it wasn't one of those topics that reached out and just grabbed my attention, certainly amongst all the conversations about AI and the future of work and, and chat GPT. But then something really funny happened. My granddaughter came over over the weekend, came, came over to visit over the weekend and was pretty upset about a college class she was taking. She was really struggling with the content and wanted to know what she should do. So in all the traditional ways, we offered help suggesting including a meeting with the professor, getting a tutor, and for what it was worth, I offered to help, although the topic was a little bit distant for me and probably more in your wheelhouse. It had to do a lot with psychology. And then it hit me. I wondered if ChatGPT could help. So I asked ChatGPT to help explain, this is how I, the question I posed, help me explain Weber's law in a way a 10-year-old could understand. Not that Madison's 10 years old, she's a 22-year-old college student, but I wanted it explained in a way anyone could understand. So within seconds, it generated a response that was really, really good for me. And it hit me. While this may not be exactly what Zek has in mind about peer-to-peer -peer learning, if ChatGPT was a peer, this peer-to-peer -peer learning thing can really be a gift and a solution since so many workers are in and will be in desperate need of upskilling and reskilling. And for those that say it can't be done in a remote or hybrid work environment, that you can't teach people, we can't create teams, we can't build teams, we can't have a company culture, uh, stick around because there's another side of the story you're going to hear today from our guests which leads me right into today's perfect labor storm segment. 
So in each episode, we focus on a disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we believe you should know about. Here is today's perfect labor storm. According to a new report on how skills are disrupting work from our friends over at Burning Glass Institute, along with Wiley and Business Higher Education Forum, the average U.S. worker has had to replace or upgrade over one-third of their skills. So think about that for just a moment. In addition to all the demographic and social changes impacting the availability of workers, one-third of the skills that employees bring to work aren't good enough. And in the most disruptive jobs, a lot of them in the technology, that number jumps to 76%, or over three out of four of all the skills that people have aren't good enough. At the same time, McKinsey, in their American Opportunity Survey for 2022, said that 35% of all job holders can work from home full-time, and 23% can do it part of the time. So that's about two-thirds of all the workers and in combined, 92 million workers can work from home at least part of the time. So this alone seems like an opportunity for peer-to-peer learning and working from anywhere to converge. I totally agree, Ira, and I love the angle you took there in terms of the peer-to-peer learning and injecting it into how do we upskill and reskill, because as you just shared, that's a major challenge. And interestingly, I actually use peer-based learning in my work back when I worked in schools. Back then, it had a funny acronym. It was called PALS, P-A-L-S, and that stood for Peer Assisted Learning Strategies. And basically, it was a concept that was born out of, we've only got so many teachers to be able to support student learning. We actually need to train and equip some of the all-star students in class to be able to help the other students in class who may be challenged with learning some of the concepts. In fact, one of our friends who came on the show about a year ago, Kevin Burkopes, over at Crossroads Education, that's what they do. That's their model for mathematics is they help train uh, some of the best students in class to become a peer-to-peer mentor for students who may struggle with math. And let's face it, in this brave new world of work right now, I don't know about you, Ira, but the number one thing I hear from every business leader that I chat with, the number one challenge that they're trying to solve is how to successfully lead remote teams around the world. Because they know remote work is not going anywhere. It's only going to continue growing. And we could come up with a whole bunch of different theories about why remote work is so desirable for employees, but it's all summed up in a two-word psychological principle that's been around since 1966 from Dr. Brim. And that principle is called psychological reactance. In a nutshell, it basically is our extreme reactions when we feel as though we're being pushed towards something or that our freedom to make our own choices is being threatened. So it's like a defense mechanism that we use whenever we're trying to get back some of our freedom. And interestingly, research has shown for decades that the more we feel our freedom of choice is being threatened, the more elevated and extreme our defiant behaviors will be. It can show up as the student who refuses to complete their homework that the teacher mandated that they do. It can be the teenager who hangs out with kids that the parent told them not to hang out with. It can be the civil rights movement. And it can also be the employee who desires the freedom to choose to work from home. And as leaders are learning on the fly how to set up their teams for success to work remotely, 
today is the perfect time for us to take a step back and have Zek Doms on the show so he can help us understand better how does peer-to-peer -peer learning fit within this puzzle of figuring out remote work. So with all that being said, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to today's guest, Zek Doms. Hi, good, good morning, good afternoon, Jason and Ira. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show with us, Zach. And as you heard as we we're unpacking things here, lots of fascinating stuff that's going on in this world of figuring out remote work. But before we dive into that, let's learn a little bit about you first. Tell us about your story, how you develop perennial culture, you're involved in Achieve Engagement, which is a community-based learning uh, solution. How did you get interested in this work? And tell us about that work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I always like to say I somewhat tripped, stumbled, and fell into this work uh, through my years of uh, incorporating different jobs throughout the years. One of my earliest careers in the corporate world was as a building manager at the student union at UW-Milwaukee. And I remember my executive director basically tasked me with this job to enhance the student and faculty experience within the building. And at that time, I was like, okay, I don't really know what that means, but I guess I'll get to work on that and try to achieve that. And from there, I just kind of grew a passion for the different type of work that comes with building a culture and building an employee experience and building an experience within a space that gets people to not only build deeper relationships with each other, but also do things together at a higher mm -hmm. level. So once I discovered that passion within myself and also realizing the power that culture can have both in a positive and negative way within company atmospheres, um, I became obsessive with it, right? And just started kind of designing different ways to make an impact within that space. The next thing you know, I'm starting perennial culture as a practice about four and a half years ago. So that's been the focus on, on perennial culture is a space to design culture, to better understand what it is, how to make an impact on it, how to align it with your strategy. So it's reinforcing and helping you accomplish bigger things in a collective environment. And then Achieve Engagement was just a natural pathway to build off of that, where we're building an actual global community in this whole peer-to-peer -peer learning format, HR leaders and people leaders who are all trying to do this within their own respective companies. So rethinking the ways that we can achieve engagement within our companies, especially in a time where we are going through some of the biggest shift with our work workspaces and the way we do work. So it's been a fun journey to say the least. Well, and we appreciate you talking about the shift because Ira's tagline is, you know, don't let the shift hit your plans. And <laughs> obviously the shift did hit the plans. And so you said about four and a half years ago is when you started perennial culture and you started doing this work. And I guess, depending on how you look at it, that either was the perfect timing or it was crazy timing, uh, given what happened with COVID. But I'm curious in the work that you've done since that time, are there certain organizations certain predictive variables that kind of stand out in your mind of being like, they get it. Like they know what they're doing when it comes to being able to support people, especially if they're working in a hybrid or remote environment. Are there any stories or types of things to look for that come to mind in those successful organizations that are doing it well? Oh, that's a great question. So one of my earliest lessons from being a building manager was after we got through the process and the procedure parts of the company and really focusing on some of those ways of like, what are the systems that are operating and how can we make sure those are 
aligned with how we're supposed to be working and the goals that we have as an organization. That seemed to be the easy part to figure out. What was left was the disconnect between our people and our people's inability to maybe collaborate together in effective ways, especially between different departments that require collaboration. Leaders within teams who are able to work through and handle conflict. So when I think about that experience and also the experience and stories that I've had with companies who are doing really well and on top of their game when it comes to culture, operating at the highest level as a team, I think the role of emotional intelligence and the way people understand not only their own emotions and how they're showing up and navigating these complex situations themselves, but how aware they are of other people's emotions and what they can all do with all that together. I think that's something that all the highest leaders and the people that are performing at the highest levels have a high level of emotional intelligence in, in their work. So, sorry, I was still on mute there, Zach. Um, <laughs> I got a question. I mean, so going back to some of the introduction, some of the things that we talked about, and just to help me on this understanding, uh, Jason obviously has a uh, a bit of more familiarity with peer-to-peer -peer learning uh, than I do, so I'll, I'll admit that. But it sounds a lot like mentoring or tutoring. I mean, is it just a, is peer-to-peer -peer learning just a new catchphrase, a new buzzword? that we can, consultants can get paid more for. <laughs> uh, you know, there might be some truth in that. <laughs> we like to show peer-to-peer -peer learning as almost a blended approach of training, facilitation, and coaching and mentoring. So it's kind of a mix between all those worlds where a lot of times when we set up these peer-to-peer -peer learning experiences and build out these communities, you know, obviously we start with defined outcomes and skill sets and things that we need to be building. So that's really where we identify what do we need to be training on. And then from a facilitation standpoint, that's where we try to emphasize connection and trust building, especially since we're in a space, especially in the hybrid environment, global workforces, connection and trust is tended to be at an all time low for a lot of companies. So how do you also pair facilitated training with facilitated connection building and trust building. So that's where really the peer-to-peer -peer element is emphasized. Yeah, so let me stand in the shoes of uh, you know a lot of, of our listeners, uh, especially small business owners or medium-sized business owners who may not be familiar with this. So it comes down that we just invested heavily into a mentoring program. What would you do differently? What does peer-to-peer -peer learning, although mentoring is part of it, how is it different than just having a mentoring program uh, or as I mentioned, even in, in school, maybe this is applicable for education and universities. How does this different than having a group study or a study club and or hiring a tutor? That's a good question. Well, a big piece of this centers around the fact that we are dealing with situations that we haven't dealt with in the past. So we are navigating a lot of new experiences that maybe we just don't have the capability to mentor on or coach on because it's kind of new for all of us in a way. So in a way, we're implementing a new way to connect and collectively work through our shared experiences and our shared situations as a company and do it in a way that's aligned from a performance standpoint on things that we need to develop and grow. So this learning experience that we're designing here from a peer-to-peer -peer network, yes, we're kind of encouraging mentoring and coaching 
but such as like giving opportunities to share tactical advice and tools to work through certain situations like how do you run better meetings or managing workloads or it could be etiquette tips to like work through different types of interruptions or situations but even giving and receiving feedback so you kind of understand all these different soft skills but the peer-to-peer -peer network is definitely also just really centered on the connection and trust building piece at a collective and at scale level for the company I think mentoring and, and coaching typically is more of like a one-to-one -one relationship between a leader and their peer or someone interning at the company. This is more centered around building connection and trust across the organization at scale versus just in maybe a one-to-one -one relationship as well. So without sharing your secret sauce and, and anything proprietary or give, and giving it away, what does it look like? So, uh, you know, you got my attention. I have a company, got a couple hundred employees trying to, to get this thing to work. We're going back and forth between remote and hybrid and in-person, and we have all these different theories and biases and prejudices going on, uh, which one's the best solution. And then I'm listening to you and then go, well, maybe this is the answer, but I don't quite understand it. So what's an engagement look like? So if someone calls you up and say, hey, I just heard you on the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show, you piqued my interest, what happens? Yeah, well, I sometimes like to describe these almost as like mini retreats in a way. So you have part team bodying, part skill development, part working session to dig into these real world scenarios. So ideally, they're structured in a way where your people come away with actionable solutions that they can immediately implement and apply toward their own role within their teams and as a company. So that's the learning journey that we try to structure this on. So we start always at the beginning of these sessions. They could even be structured once a month, for example, for two hours at a time, uh, where we're bringing together the company or the team or the identified groups of people into a shared space. Virtual is how we've been running these, especially in the hybrid environment. And we take them on that learning journey on whatever the topic is through first, what does this mean and apply for you as an individual? How does this show up within your role or within how you're you know, going through your day or, or taking action. And then how does that relate to others and your relationship on your team or the people you work with? And then all the way to how does this relate and how do we start to design this and show up as a company and reinforce this and build a culture around it? So it's kind of that learning journey of myself, each other, and then as an organization. And so, Zach, I heard you use the word design there, which really kind of piqued my interest because I'm a big design thinker. When it comes to bringing systems into the workplace, I think there's some things that are okay sometimes to shoot from the hip on, but when it comes to people strategy, most of the time, it's, it's probably a good idea to do some design thinking around it. With the design thinking around these things that you said need to be done in a culture, is this something where you've already created the design elements and, and you're really you know saying to those, those organizational leaders, this is how we need to go about this, is the process we need to use. Or are you kind of doing more of like a, a co-creation where they're involved in that process of figuring out how best do we design our peer-to-peer -peer learning around our unique talent base that we have? Or is it a combination of the two? Yeah, it's definitely a blended approach. I am not a believer in plug and play solutions when it comes to culture and employee experience. I feel that each company's culture and their people are unique. 
So we're not really able to kind of just wedge in a solution when it comes to this space, right? We have to be able to mold it and understand how their company is going to help reinforce and build within this. So we do have a core set of values and guiding principles that need to be included into this experience that we help guide some of our decision making. And then co-creation is woven into the entire experience, especially when we're looking to ensure that there's executive and employee buy-in into the experience and they're part of the process that we're incorporating listening strategies and feedback into the experience as well. So it's aligned how they're showing up and how they learn best, clarifying their actual learning goals as well, right? So understanding exactly what is the strategic direction that we're going in and how do we make sure that what we're designing and developing is relevant to that and we're not just having fun experiences to have fun experiences and needs to be aligned with unlocking performance at the highest level, clarifying the audience and the people that are involved. So these are all questions that we need to be asking at the beginning of the, the process to build out this model in a way for them. So there is that, you know, how might we design thinking experience of going through that with their people and their teams and then helping them stand up and scale it across their company in order to kind of unlock that shared learning experience with the with the people what's been one of your biggest aha moments uh when working with clients where it was either something that shocked you or totally surprised you either in a good way or a bad way and obviously you don't have to mention names here but what are some of the stories that have stuck with you where it really just made a light bulb go off in your head one way or the other in terms of what this peer-to-peer learning approach can and should be inside organizations Yeah, I would say one of the biggest ones was where the true value lies within the experience. A lot of times when I'm going into it, especially as a facilitator, maybe there's a certain topic or focus for this peer-to-peer learning experience in in one session. And I tend to think I place the value on getting this concept established, getting people to understand and build it. But a lot of times it's just the awareness building and understanding the perspectives of other people where the magic actually comes from, right? So when you start to actually unlock perspective and what I like the fancy word, the collective intelligence of the room, you really start to see some magical ideas start to flow across the room where people go, you know what? I didn't understand that's what you were thinking about this or how you viewed this or how you've been navigating this within your own team. We should try to incorporate that into how we navigate our team experiences and work through these situations. Or I didn't know you were actually having that problem and how that impacts the other departments around you. Let's start to switch kind of some certain parts of this. So there's a lot of that organic magic that comes when you just hold space around topics that I can't ever predict and I can't control either. I know what I want to control it, but I think that for me was like a big aha moment moment where I was like, okay, the magic isn't in just getting the giving and receiving feedback skill set across and giving some tactics. Yes, they could walk away with some practices for that, but really comes from when you start to have some of that like collective perspective unlocked and people start to share and understand. And then next thing you know, a week later, you have people going, well, after that experience, here's how our conversations have been happening. Here's some of the things we've already made traction on that we used to be stuck on. So uh, the aha isn't just the skill development, but actually the awareness building and the collective intelligence that comes from this. Do you ever hear some business leaders kind of scoff and be like, well, when, when do we have the time to like to learn from each other or for us to set this up? 
when we're just trying to get our jobs done. Do you ever encounter those type of objections from leaders that kind of have the deer in headlights? We're just trying to keep pace with market demand kind of pressures. Yeah, that's probably the most common objection or challenge that we definitely have to overcome, right? Because we're always at capacity. There's always more things on the to-do list. There's always this like, oh, this is just another thing type mindset sometimes on a lot of these type of new programs. I would say, though, the leaders that really attract to engaging with these type of things start to see not people in these engagements as like a cost factor that should be controlled, but more as a appreciating asset. So this is more of a way to invest into your people. And the more you invest, your people start to appreciate and the company starts to gain from that. In a lot of cases too, those same organizations that are saying that already are wasting a ton of time in other areas. So this is just another way to kind of maybe take that time loss. You're, if you're gonna view it on that mindset, then will view this as a time loss that you're already losing and start to work through those specific situations in this experience. So again, it has to be tailored to maybe some of the areas that they're, you know, have barriers in today. So that could mean providing new tools, new technologies to support that new way of working, supporting skill building and navigating the new realities of not having time and really where are those barriers. And then you're doubling down and creating this new culture in this environment in an effective way as well. Zach, are there any specific, you, you mentioned before, I mean, some of the aha moments or some of the the outcomes that were achieved by doing this, that a company realized, you know, I guess ultimately it's the ROI, is they saw an improvement, either more productivity, lesser mistakes, more outcomes, better, better sales. Is, is there anything specific that comes to mind that you can share that came out of one of your engagements? Sure. Yeah. So one recently that was actually pretty powerful was in a nonprofit organization, fairly small, 75, 80 employees. Like most organizations in the world today, they're trying to be more innovative, more agile, come up with more creative ways of making an impact within the people that they serve. So we started hosting some sessions around creativity, curiosity, and being innovative. And we started to actually facilitate these sessions on you know, building your own department's question and what type of problems are you solving and helping clarify those things. Typically, when companies are trying to be more innovative, they like create this low innovation department and they're the ones that are supposed to like come up with a new product and the new thing. And then the rest of the company is just like maintain business as usual. So it kind of surprises me when they're wondering, like, why aren't we becoming more innovative as a company? Right. It's like, well, your whole company is not part of the innovation process. So this is a, an example of one where we integrated every single department into the experience. Each company started to design almost as if their job description changed from set tasks that they were supposed to do to questions that they're exploring and just reframing that perspective on their roles. Next thing you know, I mean, this is six months later, each department performance has skyrocketed in every role for the most part. Engagement has continued to go up month over month. Retention has not has continued to been impact. Turnover has been at its lowest for the organization. Emerging leaders are rising up. So that's a good example where the actual impact that each, each role and department was having has continued to improve 
just by fostering some type of creative and innovative mindset into the roles by reframing what their jobs are. It's more to explore the impact that they're making and find ways to do better versus just do these tasks every single day. And you start to think about that difference in mindset. Who's going to wake up more excited to come to work? The one that's like, hey, this is your job that you have to do. Or here's the question that you're going to come explore today and try to improve. It's two types of energy within that company. And now you start to see a true innovative, creative culture come to life within that company. So that one's still fairly new. We don't have like super tangible metrics just because a lot of these things take six to 12 months. But just from feedback and engagement scores and performance during a time where the economy is pretty uncertain to be high and consider, continue to rise, uh, that's been a huge win, win to see within that group. Zach, you and I don't know if this connected with you, Jason, but I'm thinking Ben Bensow. He, he wrote a book uh, called Built to Innovate. Uh, he's been a guest a couple times. He's actually a guest speaker in my organizational change class. And uh, he's, he's been involved with uh, NCAD University Blue Ocean Strategy for a number of years. But he, he talks about the differentiation between being innovative and being innovating. And so you can have an innovative culture. It's like, hey, we need to be more innovative, but you need to teach people how to be innovating. And uh, that sounds exactly what you're what you're doing. So you might want to check Ben out or, or we can make a connection with you. Um, because it sounds like uh, he, he's talking the same thing. And again, for anybody that uh, wants to listen, you can go back in our archives. And it's also available on all the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And you can listen to Built, uh, our interview with Built to Innovate. I think it was a, just a few months ago uh, was our most recent one with Ben, but he was also on last year. And uh, we talk about the difference between innovating and in innovation. And uh, Zach certainly has a uh, one solution, how to, how to make that transition. But meanwhile, we are a little bit past our usual break time. Uh, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're with Zach Doms from Perennial Culture and Achieve Engagement. We've been talking about peer-to-peer -peer learning and how it differs and how it's much the same as mentoring, tutoring, team building. And when we come back, we're going to focus a little bit on uh, where this fits into the hybrid, remote, in-person world, because just yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, maybe two days ago, Amazon makes an announcement that, no, you got to come back to work, everybody. We lied. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, And a lot of the companies are, are approaching this is that, oh, we just can't get that teamwork, that learning experience, that innovation, unless we're in person. And it sounds like there, as we've been saying all along, there is another solution uh, to be able to do this. And you just have to not only try a little harder, but look at new solutions. So that's what we're doing here. So stay tuned, come back. We'll be talking about how this fits into the remote hybrid world. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get out of jail free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. 
or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. There's a certain kind of coach who believes what we believe, who leads people to greatness, who gets people unstuck, who unlocks all of your passion. A coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers. That knowing your why is the first step to untap potential, to focus, to breakthroughs. A coach who's looking for a better way. Are you that coach? Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geese, Geese's, and Googleization. We're here with uh, Zek Doms. Today, we're talking about peer-to-peer learning and uh, he's and per, how to create a perennial culture. Also, uh, he's working on a, a new community, which you'll be hearing a lot more about, I'm sure, in the future, Achieve Engagement. So, Zach, before we kind of took a break, I brought up about, I guess, the controversy, and it's still a controversy of, you know, whether it's in-person is better, uh, remote's better, hybrid's difficult under, I think everybody agrees, under all circumstances. It's more difficult for hybrid when you have some people in, in person and some people remote. I've done that, especially in a classroom with only eight people. And it's, it's difficult when you have six people in the class and two on screen. It's challenging, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. And we're, this is new. You, we talked about in the beginning of the show how we've had the shift. The shift hit our plans. And people, and it worked really, really well. And now see, people seem to be taking a back step. It's, it's like, oh, this is just too hard. We're going to go back to the way it was, which wasn't very good before. I'm very effective. We've always struggled with upskilling and reskilling and, and team building. I've, I've been in business for well over 40 years. I've been in this business for over almost 30. And the reality is, is from the beginning of time, we've been talking about team building. We've been talking about communication. We've been talking about mentoring. We've been talking about upskilling. We're talking about all these things. And all of a sudden it became working remotely or working hybrid became the, the cause. And it's not, we just never really figured it out well before. So I guess two questions here, I guess in the events that we're seeing with a lot of companies backtracking and saying, oh, we only can train and, and learn and onboard and develop in person. Uh, what's your rebuttal to that? Uh, and then second is where, you know, is there, is there a reason that you, you, I think you're doing all the ear training virtually, but is there a time and a place that it should be done in person? Yeah, that's the, the question. I think everyone's behind. I used to say it's the million dollar question, but that <laughs> yeah. million bucks. Now everybody has a million bucks, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that seems to be out of reach. So it's probably the, uh, the trillion dollar or the crypto billion, uh, question. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say I have the definitive 
answer to all of this yet, just because I feel like a lot of this is new for all of us, right? Us as leaders within companies, we are going to end up being the pioneers of the new ways of working. And in the next generation, they're going to learn from our strategies that we take action on, good and bad. So a lot of times we are the ones that are implementing these new strategies for the first time. We're putting them out there and we're trying to see what type of feedback and what's working. And eventually, hopefully by the, later this year and into the future, we've found some models that work really well for our companies and for, for our culture. First, I would ask though, and I, I always like the kind of the quote of, you know, like what is insanity or whatever, like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Like you said, teamwork and a lot of these cultural challenges that we're seeing right now, they did exist before the pandemic. Like they were here before that. So I would also question, like, are we just trying to reinforce the same strategies that we were doing before that had the same challenges and the problem that we currently have? And if so, then that's insanity to me in a way. So we also have to think about like if we are going to go back into the workplace or if we're going to try to embrace a hybrid or remote workplace, what are we optimizing it for? Are we trying to design these things for teamwork, for innovation, for culture? This will shape how we design some of our strategies in the future. I do find there is a lot of power and impact that can come from being in person. But I also have found there's a lot of limiting beliefs on the capabilities that remote or virtual work has, where I remember we did a strategic retreat last year with a company who was struggling to build trust, right, with their people and getting people to speak up and surface challenges and issues that are arising that were barriers to them moving, you know, upward and into the future. And a lot of the executive leaders kept on saying, well, we just can't build trust in a virtual space, right? Like we just had to come together on a quarterly basis or something and that will solve our problems. And I found that some of my most trusting relationships and people I have deep relationships with, I've never actually met in person. So it's just interesting where I think there's just a lot of different belief systems and our own worldviews that reinforce how we make decisions. And when we move forward into these kind of next stages of our companies and our cultures, we have to remember that our culture is, as, as a leader is just as much as a reflection of us as it is as the company. So if we're trying to find different ways to build deeper connection, there's almost like this first step that needs to be taken of us looking inward within ourselves, right? Like, are there skill sets and things that I need to develop as a leader that enable me to connect with others at a deeper level in a virtual format that I'm not developing yet? Right. And how so and that's sometimes like ask to an executive leader who's leading maybe a very large, you know, organization has done a lot of amazing things that one of the first steps that you might recommend to them is to for them to do some development work on themselves. And they're like, well, no, it's not me. Right. It's the company that we need to develop. So that's often sometimes the rebuttal there is like, look, there are ways to build connection and trust. There are some ways that we can start to facilitate this within your company. It's going to require some new behaviors on your part to roam out of the way and en enable those things to come to life and probably require you to get uncomfortable in a lot of these ways and try things that you haven't tried before. And that's something we're asking of all our people. So as a leader of, of a company, that's something that we'll have to lean into as well. But to the second question that you started to ask there as well, of like, is there benefits of being in person versus virtual? And how should we juggle those two worlds? Like, 
hands down I, I yeah definitely there's a lot of benefits of being in person there are things that just have a magical impact of being across the table with someone that you've worked with and what's been great for a lot of those relationships that I've even personally developed online over the years of COVID and then you finally meet them in person it, it's like your old friends meeting up for the first time it's kind of interesting feeling and experience so if anything, you can also start to think about the workplace, the physical workplace as more of like a tool to foster different types of experiences versus the end all be answer to your challenges. It's like they're different tools that can be used in different ways. Yeah. And there's two things that you said there. And I think one of them is it's not locate. It's not where people work. It's not the location that's going to build trust or that stands in the way or, or enhances trust or communication or team building, it's the tools we use and it's our abilities, our, our own abilities and individual abilities and also the leader's ability uh, to be able to do that. Because so often it's blamed on the technology, but yeah. as we all admit, it wasn't very good before the technology. And another thing, uh, and I'm so glad, it, the first thing that popped in my mind when you said, oh, some of the, the relationships that, or the people that you trust the most were built online. I just met for the first time when I was in Hawaii just a few weeks ago, a client that has been working with me for 11 years, never met them before. Um, one of our biggest clients, everything's been done digitally or by phone. And through the pandemic, for the very first time, we did a couple Zoom calls. And, you know, so I got to see what they look like. But prior to that, they didn't even see the need to, to do a Zoom. So there was no video. I could have bumped into, the, I could have sat down at the same table and broken bread with them and have no idea who they were. And yet we have this relationship and they continue to do business with us. So obviously they trust us. And, and he's confided a lot of things about his future and his company, where he wants to take it in me. And, and you know, uh, so there's, uh, it can be done. Um, yeah. So it's it's really back to those individual abilities and skills and that we need to, to develop. And we just need to stop blaming the technology on it. Yeah. But we've, we're, we're coming rapidly toward the end here. So there's two different things that we like to wrap up with each time. Uh, one is to give you a chance to answer one of our favorite questions. Was there something we should have asked you, but we didn't? So before, so we're going to do that. And then uh, once you uh, respond to that, Jason will, uh, will lead you through our lightning round. <laughs> I love that question. We've been recently doing that in our own customer discovery interviews that we've been doing this last quarter. And we, we've asked that same question. I unfortunately have always been the one asking it. So <laughs> it's hard for me to think of the answer. What should we have asked you that we didn't? Maybe something, maybe, I, I don't know, something that I think is always interesting to talk about or answer is just something along like the journey of culture change and like, what does it take to actually evolve in a culture? I think that's always an interesting question because sometimes, especially as leaders, and I'll quickly answer it in a way, it's we think culture change is external outside of us. It's on the organization, it's on the, the work environment, the physical office space, it's on the other leaders, but never us ourselves as individuals. And I always like to say culture change is just as much as a personal journey as it is a collective journey. So I think that's something that we all always lose maybe perspective on and maybe it would have been an interesting question to talk about. And thanks for that. And thanks for giving us a short answer, but it sounds like a lot more to explore uh, that hopefully uh, we can get you back at some point and do that with you. Awesome, Zach. All right. And so the other part that we love to do is the lightning round. And so we're just going to ask you a few questions here to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level and help our listeners do that as well. So let's start with this one. How about a hidden talent or 
kind of like a secret hobby of something that a lot of people may not guess about Zek Doms. Big pool player, billiards player. Played my whole life in tournaments, leagues, and all of the above. So definitely a passion. That's kind of hidden a little bit. Unless you're part of a friend group that maybe knows of it. I like that. So do you do like tournaments and stuff like that? Yeah, when I and well, I'm traveling now, but yeah, I would always play in the state, you know, Wisconsin State pool tournaments, different leagues around the state. Now that I'm in Florida, I'll try to find some little gigs to play in and stuff like that. But definitely, yeah. I like that. State and not to not to stereotype by state, but I'd have to imagine Wisconsin's probably got some good billiard players with the number of good bars that you got up there. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a good space to. Either get your butt kicked or uh, play some good pool. That's for sure. So we, we we've got a new hashtag here, pool shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there exactly. you go. <laughs> Love it. Awesome, Zach. All right, and how about this one? Um, how about a favorite band or a favorite song? I'll pair them together. It's called Collie Man by Slightly Stupid. They're a more of a West Coast, a little more reggae type style band. Yeah, that's one of my favorite all time songs. Awesome. And I've never heard that band. I'm going to have to check them out on uh, Spotify. Very cool. That's taken me back to uh, my honeymoon. My wife and I went to Jamaica and listened to some Bob Marley and enjoyed some red stripe beer while we were there. So love that. (laughs) And then how about this one? If, if there were one person that you could spend the day with in the history of the world, what name comes to mind? Okay. Give me a hot second to think about this. Wow. That's really tough. I'm kind of drawing a little bit of a blank here on it. Um, sure, and we can try a different one. Or is there like a sports figure or a celebrity? Uh, maybe Minnesota Fats, the uh, famous <laughs> billiards player. Yeah, that. I mean, he would. He would definitely be one of them. Would be interesting. Yeah, let's come back to it. I'll. I'll see if something pops up. Yeah, sure thing. And then let's try this one. Then I'm sure this one will be a quick answer for you here. Favorite superpower? If you could pick any superpower to have, what would it be? Definitely flying. I would, I would love just to fly around <laughs> and be able, or teleportation. That would also be a good one as well, just to kind of be able to go anywhere I want on the, you know, flick of a finger. Absolutely. Teleportation is the number one that we get and totally and understand it, it. Yeah. Especially love for traveling, being able to just kind of pop in wherever I want. That sounds amazing. Absolutely. Super. Well, who knows? We may get to see that one day. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Zach, thank you so much for being with us today, helping us better understand peer-to-peer learning and how this fits within setting up teams to successfully work together in a remote work environment. Um, To get in touch with Zach, you can find him on LinkedIn. Uh, Just search for Zach Doms, Z-E-C-H-D-A-H-M-S. And then you can check out uh, the two groups that he's part of. He founded Perennial Culture, which is his consulting group. And then you could also look up Achieve Engagement, which is the peer learning community for HR leaders. Perennial Culture is perennialculture.com. And then Achieve Engagement is achieveengagement.events. So, Zach, we can't thank you enough for being on. Like Iris said, we'll have to do a, a round two here in the future, dive a little bit more into this world of remote work with you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Hey, thanks very much, Zach. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye now. All right. I love the the billiards.
segment there. That's the first time we've gotten billiards. That's a new one. In the That's lightning segment. And teleporting. Uh, maybe we need to start doing this in uh, VR. We'll, we'll get right. you a headset and, and uh, we, we, we'll do a geek skeezes and Googleization live in VR and we can transport wherever we want to go. I love it. That's a brilliant idea. And getting on that, I mean, you you teed things up today really well in terms of like, where is this headed? Where could this potentially head with upskilling and reskilling? What what were some of the big takeaways for you today that were aha moments as you heard Zach talk about where things are headed? Yeah, well, I was excited to hear about it and learn about it because I, I, I didn't really understand a lot of the differentiation. And I thought he did a good job at explaining the difference. I think a lot of what I learned, uh, the big takeaway was confirmation. It was a confirmation that that pe- we need to get out of our own way or companies, people, leaders need to get out of their own and individuals need to get out of their own, own way that uh, technology didn't create the problems with communication, with building trust, with team building, uh, with learning new skills and upskilling. It made it different, but it's not the impediment. It's not a brick wall that we need to learn how to go through. Uh, things were challenging before. Uh, they've been talking about skill gaps for 20, 25 years now and upskilling uh, and, and education and how we reach those people. Uh, every, you know, when we talk about communication, I've been around long enough when when the biggest problem in business was the water cooler <laughs> and then it became the lunchroom and then it became the, the foosball table. Um, and, you know, there's always a distraction that and the reality is it still comes down to people learn how to need to be able to communicate better. And, you know, without communication, you can't build teams. Five dysfunctions of a team. Where does it start? You know, and it starts literally with building trust and, and self-awareness of what's my role in it. So I, I think Zach just confirmed to me, hearing it over and over again, that the problem with upskilling and reskilling and learning and team building and communication and building trust in a hybrid and remote work has nothing to do with the technology. Or I love that. Going. And and one that both of you helped me think about today was he, he was talking about how many times he gave a specific example, a business that basically said, we want to become more innovative. And so they tasked a specific department with doing it, but not everybody was involved. And the reason I'm laughing is because you brought up Amazon. Here we have Amazon. They have Alexa. So they're in the artificial intelligence game. Haven't they figured out a way yet to leverage their artificial intelligence to start upskilling and reskilling their people? Wouldn't you start thinking that direction like you alluded to at the top of the broadcast? And sometimes the answers aren't as complex as we think. Sometimes they're staying right there in front of us. That's a different department. Different (laughs) department. That's right. And I know, you know, there are probably people who are like, well, they're, you know, kind of moving Alexa away. But the, the point of that being that, Many times there are solutions that we have in front of us, but we have to take the time to really articulate and understand them in order to put them into place. And I thought today Zach did a great job of talking about that. And one of the other ones he brought up was physical space. We often hear about the need of, well, we have this physical space. We have this commercial real estate that we need to use. And it's like, well, how about you just use it in a different way? Instead of just mandating everybody come back to the way things were, nobody wants to do that. How about you use that space in a more creative and constructive way? where it's used for peer-based learning, you know, situations, or maybe it's used more for recreational type of things. There's ways to use the space more creatively to create a more positive employee experience. Instead of just saying, we've got this space, we're paying for it. So everybody's coming back to use it. So those were some of the key takeaways for me. But I want to thank you for tuning in today. 
Um, if you haven't liked and subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Um, you're the reason that we're in the top 1% in the world in popularity, top 100 for business management, and also in the top 100 for uh, Thought Leader podcasts. So thank you for showing up and encouraging our guests um, as well. If you've not become a member of Googleization Nation, which is our free community, uh, please do so. You can go to geekskeezersgoogleization.com, and all you have to do is drop in an email address there in order to become part of our free community. But until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. Special thanks to Y Institute once again for partnering with us and sponsoring this episode. Thank you. As Jason said, thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Uh, we've got what we're calling Mar March Madness coming up. So hopefully uh, you will tune in uh, next week. Uh, we've got a all-star panel of guests to and experts to talk about remote work and hybrid work. Uh, we've got Kate Lister. Uh, from Global Workplace Analytics. Uh, we've got Jeff Abbott from Avanti, a cybersecurity company that focuses on the digital employee experience as well. And we've got Gad Levinen, uh, who's an expert from Burning Glass Institute. He's the chief economist there. He's been a guest a number of times on the show. We mention him often. Uh, and he's going to talk about the, the labor markets. Uh, you know, again, I've Companies can make decisions to bring, bring people back into the office, uh, but it's not going to happen if there's no people there and uh, people don't want to move and people don't want to uh, to commute every day to the work. And then the following week, we've got John Sinai. John, in June of 2021, was a guest on the show, uh, and we're so privileged that he's agreed to come back. He's one of the people I look up to all the time. If you want to know where the future's headed, technology, humanity, the combination of basically the convergence of people and technology uh, and business. He's, he's one of the people that you absolutely have to look to. And uh, he's going to be our guest on a special event on March 7th. Uh, we're going to be talking about chat GPT and AI. And there's a really unique perspective on that. Uh, and it's one that uh, you definitely want to pay attention to. Plus we've got a, a whole other lineup. Uh, we got Dave Ulrich coming back, Sue Lindler talking about storytelling. So we've, we've got quite a month. Uh, so hopefully that uh, we'll see you again in March for our March Madness. Uh, thank you again for listening. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.